Man, nothing like starting 2024 with uh, some interesting words and names that we're, we're trying to wonder if we could even pronounce them that well. Daryl, thank you for reading that this morning. Friends, we serve a good God who has promised to give his people the very land that he has designed for them, and he was faithful to do so. And so the God who uh, gave the promised land is the same God who rescues us in the name of Jesus today. He's the same one who promises life forevermore because he is king forever. Let's go to our good God and pray to him today. Let's pray with, pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, in fact, that you are faithful to your promises. When we read maybe bizarre passages, passages that, that we might just want to easily skip over, like the beginning of Judges. God, thank you that actually you are faithful to give your people the promised land like, like you promised to do so. God, we confess that too often we think that it is too difficult to live faithfully before you. God, too often we read your word, we hear what it says, we know what we should do, and instead we think we have a better way that might achieve us the same end. But Father, we confess today that we do not know better than you. We actually need your word to guide our feet, to be a lamp unto our feet, to be a light to our path, so that we can walk faithfully before you. So God, we pray that even when uh, difficult tasks are called to do, like, like God, when you called Judah to go up and to fight against the Canaanites, God, thank you that, that even though it's difficult, God, you equip us to obey you. Father, help us to be people who, when given the chance to either live faithfully before you, or to think that we know better, and to try to get to the same end our own way, God, help us instead to be people who trust your word and are willing to be obedient to it, even if it seems difficult, even if it, think, if it seems insurmountable, even if it seems impossible, and even if it doesn't seem like it's the best way, God, we pray that that you would be shaping us as we follow you. Help us to be people who do that very thing. Lord, we are thankful for a new year. Lord, we are thankful for all that you have done for us this past year in 2023. Lord, if, if there's one thing that we could say about Friendship Baptist Church in 2023, it, has, it, it could be said so easily in place after place and example after example that God, you are faithful and you are merciful, and you are kind. And so God, we pray that, that in this new year, that in 2024, we would, would see your kindness, that we would see your mercy, that we would see your faithfulness. And, and in particular, God, we pray that we would see these great and true things about you in light of the reality that we are not like those things. We are rarely merciful enough. We are not kind enough. We are not patient enough. We are not faithful enough. And so God, we pray that 2024 would, would reveal that we need a savior and the only one that would do is King Jesus. So God, we pray that you would do that good work in our hearts. 
this year. Lord, we pray for uh, the different ministries that are, that are starting up again this week. We think of, of Awana tonight. Oh, Lord, thank you for the ministry of Awana. Thank you of how we get to share the gospel in the hearts of kids every single week. We pray for every single kid who's going to be here tonight. We pray that you would be already uh, at work in their hearts so that they would uh, know your goodness, know your faithfulness, that they would know King Jesus and follow him. Lord, we pray for the leaders of Awana. We pray that you would give them hearts to, to love and serve these kids out of a, a heart of love and service to you, Father. Lord, we pray for, for the youth on Wednesday and for all of their leaders. And we pray that, Lord, that would be a significant time of training, discipling, evangelizing uh, the youth in our community so that they would bow the knee to King Jesus, that they would walk faithfully before you. Father, we recognize that we live in a world right now where, where we don't recognize you as king, and so we all do what seems right in our own eyes. Father, we pray that, that friendship would be a church in 2024 that would say, we have a king, his name is King Jesus, and we want to live faithfully before him. Father, we pray that the Awana ministry and children's ministry and youth ministry and college ministry and international student ministry and, and every other ministry that we have going on, we pray, Lord, that, that each of those will be pointing our hearts and minds to King Jesus, who is King forevermore. Father, we, we pray uh, for our, uh, our body, for individuals who are traveling still, we think of the Gosnells who are traveling. We think of others who, who are traveling even this week. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be keeping them safe, that even in their travels, they would remember, Father, you go with them. In fact, there's never a place where they could go where they could escape you. Father, thank you that you go with them and that they can trust you in each, uh, in each place they travel. Father, we pray for those in our body who are sick, um, who are fighting RSV or other things and, and just feel too ill to come today, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that your hand of healing would be upon them. Lord, we pray that even in their sickness, even as they feel terrible, even as their bodies ache, Lord, we pray that they would remember the very true things that we've been singing today, that you are king, that you reign, and that there is no other savior except for you. And so we pray, Lord, that they would look to you for hope and endurance and help. Father, we pray for our mission of the week. We pray for uh, the Mia's family in Cambodia. We thank you for Medez and, and his work there. Lord, we ask that you would provide everything that they need for their ministry to continue, for others to hear the gospel and be saved. Lord, would you do a good work there? Lord, we, um, we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for others as well. Um, we think of Uniontown Baptist Church in South Zanesville, the, the church replant that we get to, the, the, to be the sending church for. And we pray for, for uh, their pastor, Chris. We pray for him. We pray for his family this morning. We know that they have gone through some difficult times. And so, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them and support them this week. Remind them, Father, that there is great hope in King Jesus who has conquered the grave, who has defeated sin and death, 
who promises that there's a day coming when death would be no more. And so, Lord, in ways that they feel brokenhearted, we pray that you would be close to them. Father, we think of, of College Drive Presbyterian Church right down the road from us. We think of their pastor, Keith Taylor, and we are thankful for them. And we pray, Lord, that as they gather together, they would sing your truths, they would open up your word, they would sit under the authority of your word, and Father, that your spirit would be transforming that congregation to be more like King Jesus. God, thank you that College Drive Presbyterian Church exists here in New Concord, and we pray, Lord, that their ministry would be sweet and it would be uh, encouraging to the village of New Concord. Father, we pray the same thing, that as we open up your word, that, that we would not have a history lesson, that we would not uh, think this is a time to doze off or, or drift off mentally, but that, Lord, we would deeply study your word because we need all of your word to, to grow as mature believers in Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that we'd be hungry for your word even this morning. Father, for the children going back to Children's Church, we are thankful for every single one of them. Thank you that you have made them in your image. God, thank you that you've made them unique. God, thank you that you have made them to bring glory to you here on earth. We pray that you would give them ears to hear today and hearts to receive the good news of Jesus. Father, we know that you do that good work at young ages. And so, Lord, we pray that our children here at Friendship this morning might even come to know Jesus. Father, for the offering that we give, because we know that that ministry uh, is able to happen because of our, our, our joyful, sacrificial giving. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be sacrificial givers today for your namesake and for the gospel to go forward. Father, thank you for all that you have provided us, provided us in 2023. We pray that you would help provide for us in 2024. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, we encourage you to head on out to Children's Church. We will see you at the end of the service. Man alive, I was the Sunday school teacher for them this morning, and all 20-some of them, oh my goodness, it was awesome. It is such a joy to see them learning and thinking about the good news of Jesus. Well, friends, as they are headed out, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. We are starting a new sermon series today. I know that if uh, you are a parent of littles, uh, that your hope is that we want our children to grow up to be good little boys and girls to grow up to be like heroes of the Old Testament, right? We want them to have great faith and to do great things for God. And so when you are in children's church, or if you remember children's Sunday school from way back when, you remember those stories of the heroes of the faith, right? Who, who were they? What, what's the most common hero of the faith story that we would think of first? Who, who do we give to our, what's the first story we tell the kids about? Probably David and Goliath, right? That great hero of the faith. Then we usually move on to Moses and Noah, and who is the very next person every single time? I usually think of Samson. 
I stole that picture from an old children's ministry, right? Samson, and then maybe Gideon, then maybe Joshua, right? But what if that has been the wrong way to read the Old Testament? What if instead of reading the Old Testament as if these are individuals who are heroes of the faith, what if instead they are to lead us to the conclusion not that we should be like King David and should be slaying our, the Goliaths in our lives, nor that we should be Samson and push the walls down on our enemy, but what if instead that, that these examples are actually that we need a deliverer, a savior, because we are deeply flawed if God does not intervene in our lives. Our goal for our time as we are in the book of Judges is not to say that we are trying to emulate the faith of these individuals, but to actually look for the ultimate deliverer who would bring us to trust God and to live faithfully before him. So full disclosure, I'm not going to lie. I am trying, as a father, I am trying my best for my kids to not be like Samson or Gideon. And so we want to start answering the question, why do we need a Savior like Jesus? And why are none of these other examples sufficient as saviors? That's the question we want to begin to look at together as we open up God's Word. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book of Judges. We're going to think through a little bit of an overview of it, and then we're going to start breaking it down. And that's what our sermon, that's what our scripture reading was this morning, was actually the first 15 verses that we're going to begin to look at together. Let me, let me pray for our time in God's Word this morning as we look in the entirety of the book of Judges as an overview this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we confess that we love to be the hero. We love to be sufficient. And, and yet, Lord, we quickly see in our own lives and as in the book of Judges that we need a deliverer. We can't deliver ourselves. We aren't strong enough we aren't faithful enough. We need you to intervene because you are the ultimate deliverer. You are the one who gives eternal salvation, eternal deliverance. God, you alone are king. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would help us to see our sufficient Savior, Jesus, in the book of Judges. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea of what we're hoping to walk away with, uh, both this morning and really kind of larger in the book of Judges altogether. Here's the big idea that, that we want, want you to walk away with this morning. When we serve no king, we will do what is right in our own eyes. So therefore, we need to serve the true eternal king and live rightly before him. When we serve no king, we will do what is right in our own eyes. So we are to serve the true eternal king and live rightly before him. And so we're going to look at this new sermon series, this overview, and then we're going to begin digging into the first 15 verses of chapter 
one. You know, each time we approach a new sermon series, a, a new book in the Bible, it's worth repeating and it's worth reflecting again on what we're doing and why we do it and how we start doing this. So, so here at Friendship, we, we hold to this view called the verbal plenary inspiration view of the scriptures, which means that every single word of the Bible in its original autographs are all true, that all parts of the Bible are divinely authoritative, which means all parts of scripture are all fully God's word. It means that all parts of the Bible, as well as every word of the Bible, says exactly what God wanted it to say. In fact, Paul says in Romans 15, Forever, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Like that, that's the goal of when we read the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. The goal is that not only would we know the true thoughts and heart and character of God, but from it, we would have hope as a result as we live before him. And I say that this morning because the work that we do when we open God's word together is, is, is that it's God at work within us. God's word, remember, creates God's people and, and God's word shapes God's people. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then are they to call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as we hear the word of God proclaimed, as we hear it explained and applied, the spirit of God is at work in our very lives. That's what is described in Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, God says. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So as we study God's word together, every single Sunday morning, God is transforming our lives by his word through his spirit. In fact, that's the very thing that Jesus prayed for in John 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what we're doing together when we gather isn't a history lesson. It's not so that you can just know more of the Bible because it's good to know better facts. It is the people of God hearing the word of God that's at work in our heart and lives by the spirit of God, all to the glory of God and the transformation of God's people. That's what we're about when we gather together and we sing his praises and we open up God's word. Our goal is gospel transformation, not for us to just continue to be the same, but for God's character and his spirit to grip us and to move us to say, this news of Jesus is so incredibly good for me, and I want it to be good to, so that others would know it too. 
that's what we're doing when we open up God's word. And we need the entire word of God at work in our lives, even the Old Testament, even the book of Judges. Because the reality is when we serve no king, we will do only what is right in our own eyes. And so we are to serve the true and eternal king and live rightly before him. Well, let's look at the overview of the book of Judges. What, what is the book of Judges? Okay, so it's a book in the Old Testament. We got that part. It's named after a collection of writings about individuals who led Israel after Joshua's death until Israel got a king. So this is about up, up until about uh, a little bit after 1000 BC, okay, about uh, 1050 BC. Uh, the author is unknown. Uh, Jewish tradition uh, ascribes authorship to Samuel. If you remember the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, okay, uh, Jewish tradition says that Samuel wrote the book of Judges. And so this is after Joshua died, when Israel has come into the promised land, but there's no king in Israel yet. And so this is what's happening in the life of Israel, in the nation, in the promised land, as they are seeing that they need a king. And so what we see in the book of Judges is that despite their promise to keep the covenant, Israel continually turned from the Lord and began to worship other gods. So within the book of Judges, there are 12 judges that are mentioned. Uh, There's six more popular ones. You've probably heard of most of them. Uh, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. And if you, I'm trying to get away from this uh, equation, and I don't know any better way to, to explain it. Um, if you think of a toilet bowl and everything that goes on inside a toilet, and as it swirls down, that is essentially what we see in the book of Judges. As you, each judge leads to one that's worse, that leads to one that's worse, and it, and it leads to what uh, commentators and theologians call the canonization of Israel. Instead of the, the land of Canaan, instead of the promised land reflecting the goodness of God, what we end up seeing in the book of Judges is that God's people instead reflect what has been going around them, and the opposite of what they were to do. And so what did these judges do? Uh, the English word for judge it implies an individual who gives insight over a legal dispute to determine guilt or innocence. But but that's not the primary task of these judges. Okay, the the best way to understand these judges really comes from chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says this, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. So these judges should be viewed as deliverers or as saviors of their people. Their role wasn't to judge, their role was to save. So so their job was to deliver the people of Israel, to save their people. And so uh, commentators think that the word for a judge in Hebrew is better to be understood as as, as leader or tribal leader instead of just judge as, as, as we might think of it. But each judge in the book of Judges symbolizes a weakness of Israel that leads to the ultimate ending of the book, that that they all did what was right in their own eyes. 
And each of these deliverers were seen as these national leaders to emphasize God dealing with the people of Israel as a whole. So each judge is seen as a symbol for the nation of Israel. We know the famous saying, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. Well, that's certainly true of Israel when they had kings. Under bad kings, things went sour. Under good kings, Israel was faithful to the Lord. The heart and skill of a leader always tremendously affects the people under his direction. And so as we look at each judge over the next couple months, we need to be asking the question, what is Israel like with this deliverer? Because what we're going to see is that these judges are not actually heroes of the faith, but often act with little faith towards God. Each judge actually shows a picture that we need a better Savior. We need a better deliverer. And so in the book of Judges, we're going to see this cycle that happens again and again and again. Uh, It's mapped out in Judges chapter 3. Let me read it for you. It's just a couple verses. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Kershatheum, the king of the Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kishon Rithathamium eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. So this pattern repeats throughout the book. The people abandon the Lord. God punishes them by raising up a foreign power to oppress them. Then the people cry out to God for deliverance. And then God raises a deliverer or a judge for them, and they're saved. And then as soon as that judge dies, the cycle repeats completely over again. The people abandon the Lord. The Lord's anger is kindled against them. He uh, has these oppressors raised up. And so then when Israel cries out to God for help, then he raises up another deliverer. This cycle of destruction continues to repeat and repeat and repeat. And we'll see that in the book of Judges. Our theme verse for this series is Judges 21-25. And so we're going to be repeating this. This is really, if we want to understand the book of Judges, this is it right here. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So then we need to ask the question, why do we need the book of Judges? The the truth is that we cannot govern and rule ourselves well. Even Israel, who had the Mosaic Covenant, needed a faithful leader. Right? So Judges chapter 1 verse 1 begins like this. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up for us? See, they needed a people to lead them. The same is true for us today. We need someone who will lead us in the right way to live. In fact, Christianity, from our very core of who we are, we we, we push against the current culture that says, you are enough, 
You don't need to change. You're perfect just the way that you are. We actually believe that we live in a fallen world, that we ourselves have helped it become that way, and that we aren't enough, that we need help, that we need a Savior. That when we do all, uh, and when we do all what is right in our own eyes, things go wrong. And so Judges is a book that shows that we need a king to guide us, but we also need a savior to deliver us, and not just any deliverer will do. Every human deliverer, every human savior actually needs their own deliverance. And that's what we see in the book of Judges. See, the storyline of the Bible is this. God created us to be in perfect relationship with him, and yet we rebelled. Humanity rejected God and brought sin and death into the world. And God promised that a deliverer would come, a savior would come and redeem us. It was the promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden in Eden. A deliverer would come who would crush the head of the serpent who deceived us. And so we learn of this guy named Noah, but he wasn't the deliverer we needed. Then we learn of this guy named Abraham, but he isn't the deliverer that we need. Then Moses, and then Joshua, who brought God's people into God's promised land. And then in, while in the promised land, God's people rebelled against God again. And so God raised up judges or deliverers to help deliver the Israelite tribes from the consequences of their unfaithfulness. But with each judge, we see that they aren't who we ultimately need. It leads us all the way to the New Testament in John chapter 4. If you remember that passage of the woman at the well. And after Jesus has had this life-changing conversation with her, she goes back to the town and tells everyone all about who Jesus is. And the townspeople come out and they listen to Jesus and and they invite Jesus to spend some days with him. And and they say this in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to this woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior that we need. Everyone else is insufficient to rescue and redeem. But Jesus isn't just a human leader. Uh, He's also God in the flesh. And so the Old Testament leads us to this need of a Savior. As we're reading the Old Testament, we should be seeing the people of Israel have hearts like us. And we see again and again and again of their failure and their unfaithfulness. And they need a king. And they need someone to deliver them. They cannot govern themselves well. And so the Old Testament leads us uh, to the need of a savior, of a Messiah who would come and deliver his people. And we find that Messiah in the New Testament is Jesus who is the savior of the world. And so as we read the book of Judges, we should be thinking Jesus is a great Savior. Like that's actually, if we don't see how Jesus is a better deliverer than the the Judges in our book, I think we're going to be reading the book of Judges wrong 
We're going to be missing why it's pointing us to, to a greater need above human deliverers. And so as we look at each individual judge, uh, their success is related to their delivering of people as well as their spurring on people as an example to a proper relationship with God. But time after time after time, what we're going to see is that they fail to do so. We need a sufficient Savior. And what we see in Judges 11 is that it is Yahweh, the God of all creation, who is ultimately the deliverer. It's Yahweh who gives the people into the hands of their oppressors. It's Yahweh who's the one who raises up deliverers, these judges for his people. And it is Yahweh who brings his spirit upon them and delivers and equips them for their tasks. In fact, we will see that it is God who is the Savior that we need. So when we serve no king, we will do only what is right in our own eyes. We need to serve the true and eternal king and then live rightly before him. So let's begin to jump into uh, Judges. Uh, we're going to be going about a chapter a week. So if, if, so if you want to read along and ahead and, and read that chapter ahead of time so you can say, oh, what's he going to do with this one? Uh, that'll be a good thing. If you want to read the book of Judges in one setting, um, the average time, from what I understand, is a one hour and 41 minutes. Maybe you're a faster reader. Maybe you can do it in an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, but it takes a little over an hour and a half to read the whole book. And we're going to deep dive and do one chapter a week, basically, each week. But let's begin in verses 1 to 15. Uh, and we, we read it as our scripture reading. We, we heard what was going on. Uh, and, and it's in your bulletin. It's in your Bible. Uh, let's think about what it looks like for obedience to God. We recognize that Joshua was a fantastic leader. Joshua was a faithful leader. Joshua faithfully led Israel into the promised land. And with Joshua... The people had direction, and they obeyed the Lord, and the Lord blessed them by bringing them into the promised land. With Joshua leading Israel, Israel was able to enter the promised land. With Joshua leading Israel, they defeated their enemies, they possessed the promised land. And with Joshua leading Israel, Israel lived out their covenant with Yahweh, that he would be their God, and they would be his people. Friends, Joshua is a great example of the type of leader that we need. But Joshua points us to a greater leader still. We actually have a better leader than Joshua. We have King Jesus. Joshua was the greatest military leader in Israel's history. But we have a better leader than Joshua because Jesus guides us by his spirit. See, Joshua brought the people of Israel into the promised land and brought rest for them in Canaan. But we understand that it was only earthly and it was only temporary. And what we see is that this blessing of rest was lost because of Israel's sin. Eventually they were kicked out of the promised land. God drove them out into slavery. But Jesus brings us into God's eternal rest that cannot be lost it cannot be stolen. It cannot be forfeited. Jesus actually brings a greater salvation 
and a greater rest. In fact, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, describes Jesus as giving a better rest than what Joshua could offer. It says in Hebrews 4, 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We should be people who celebrate the great heights with which Christ has saved us. This salvation outreaches any enemy and any opposition. This salvation and rest that Jesus offers and gives us is not temporary, it is eternal. What a Savior we have in Jesus. He saves us to the uttermost. Joshua points us to a greater Joshua, to Jesus himself. But with the death of Joshua at the beginning of Judges, Israel went from certainty to confusion and uncertainty. Judges starts off by connecting the book of Judges with the book of Joshua, but it connects it with the death of Joshua. The people of Israel wondered who would lead them now. They recognized that they needed a leader. So Judges 1.1 says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And God preparing Judah to be where Israel's future king would come from, chooses Judah to go for Israel. The Lord said, Judah will go up in verse 2. We see that actually that same thing at the end of the book of Judges, uh, that Judah will lead Israel. Judah continued to obey God's command to possess the land. And with Judah's obedience, here in the first 15 verses, the Lord was faithful, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. They caught Adonai Bezek and did to him what he had done to others. They cut off his fingers and toes, uh, basically to render him a, a harmless warrior, right? He could no longer hold a sword or run away. That's why they cut off the fingers and cut off the big toes. And so then in verses 8 to 13, Israel continued the conquest to possess the promised land that Yahweh had promised to give them. Now remember why they were to do this. This was a judgment against the Canaanites because Yahweh is not a territorial God. He, he's not only the God of this area of the land. God is king over all creation. Yahweh is king forever. And so whether people recognize it or not, God is king of the universe. God is the king of the Canaanites, even if they did not recognize him as their king. And so part of Israel coming into the land of Canaan was a judgment against the Canaanites for their rebellion against Yahweh. But then also part of the reason to possess the land of, uh, of the promised land in the way that they were commanded to do was to protect the Israelites from the Canaanite religious influence. And it was to fulfill God's promises about the land. Deuteronomy 7 is really clear about this. Listen to what Moses writes to the people of Israel about when they are to enter the promised land. L listen to how clear this is. When the Lord your God 
brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or the taking of their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. So it's really clear commandment that Israel was to come in and take the promised land uh, because they were to be God's holy set apart people, not like the other nations in the world. And part of it was to be a judgment on the Canaanites. Friends, what we see is that when the land was captured, it was given to the people of Israel. Thus what we see in verses 14 and 15 with the whole thing of whoever captures the land of the Negev, I will give my daughter to marry. Friends, we need to see this reality. Even when it is hard to follow the commands of Jesus, we are called to do so. Even when it seems impossible to obey God, we are to trust that faithfully living before him is going to have a better result than trying to do it any other way. The, the, the sad truth of the book of Judges is that God became convenient for the people of Israel. When they needed him, they cried out to him. And God, in his mercy, redeemed them and raised up a deliverer for them and rescued them and saved them. And as soon as they didn't need God anymore, they turned away again. And so the book of Judges is really a call to us. To, to, it's a fork in the road that says, you who bear the name of Christ, are you going to follow God when it's just convenient to do so? Are you going to cry out to God only when you know that you need him? Because if that's going to be the case, the book of Judges is a warning to us. It's a warning that says, 
if God is not the king of our lives, not just on Sundays, but the guiding king that guides our priorities, that guides our affections, that guides our lives every day of the week, if God's just going to be our king on Sunday, then what we actually are going to see is that we are going to become more like the world around us instead of more like the king who has redeemed us. That's what the story of Judges is. It's, it's a terribly sad story. And so, friends, we need to see that even if it is hard, it is better to obey God than to think we can get the same result doing it our own way. Sometimes we need to recognize that when we trust and obey the Lord, that God is using us as part of a plan that's bigger than us. The promised land wasn't only about Israel. It involved God's plan for the Canaanites also. It's not easy to always obey the Lord. Israel struggled in possessing the land, but as they obeyed the Lord, the Lord blessed them. That's what we see in the first 15 verses. God says, Judah will go up before you. And they do, and they are faithful. And we read that the Lord is with them and, the, and that they defeat 10,000 of their enemies before them. God is faithful and we can trust him. Friends, this new year, let our heart posture as Christians be this. We need a savior. We have a sufficient savior in Jesus. He has redeemed us. And so we will live faithfully before him. That, that's what we want our heart posture to be. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. Jesus is a sufficient savior. He's the only savior. And he has given his life for us. He's given us salvation. He has redeemed us. And he promises eternal glory with him. And until that day is fully, finally here, we are to live faithfully before him this year. Friends, when we serve no king, we will do what is right in our own eyes. So let us instead serve the true eternal king and live rightly before him. It's true that the book of Judges has lots of people who are who, who God has raised up to be deliverers, but they are not the deliverers we need ultimately. We need the one who will secure us eternally and forever. His name is King Jesus, who left the glories of heaven, who put on mortal flesh. He's the uncreated one who lived a perfect life, stepped in our place to take the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. Jesus went to the cross for us, bore our wrath, took our shame, and on the third day rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and promising new life for all who would turn to him in faith. That's our king. That's our savior. He's the only one who will save to the uttermost. Praise the Lord that we do not live in the time of judges. Praise the Lord that we have a Savior who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, who has put his Spirit inside us so that we can know the Lord and follow him faithfully. Praise the Lord for our good Savior, Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that life is not all roses. We recognize that rarely, rarely, Lord, do we see all that, that, that you are doing in our lives. And so, Father, we need a reminder today, this week, this year, that we have Jesus, the sufficient Savior that we need who will, by His Spirit, transform our lives and promises us a day coming when we will be with Him forever, where there will be perfect peace, when no longer will we struggle with the sin of this world. And so, Father, we pray that we would see the greatness of your work of salvation in the person of Jesus. We pray that that the book of Judges would lead us to celebrate your great work in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.